are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Uh, Pastor Hayward spoke uh, last week on 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm going to kind of pick up where he left off and continue with 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 on love. And, um, you know, love is, love is so important. You know, I think that we really don't fathom the depths of love. Um, you know, I, the Bible just talks about love is, covers a multitude of sins. That love, it, you know, perfect love casts out fear. When we stand in that place, people flourish in love. You know, I, I've, I've had many different jobs in my life, and how many people here have had a job where, you know, really it's, it's almost a job of fear. Like if you do something wrong, it's just like, man, you're going to get it. And many people have had a job like that. You know, and then, you know, I've been in that type of a job where it's just kind of like, you're only as good as your last day, you know, and the new day is a new day, and if you don't do something right, you're going to get called up on the carpet, and, uh, and this is going to happen. But, and then have you been into a, 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 a situation where there's love there? Uh, you know, your work is just kind of like, you know, maybe it's not like you, you walk into work, it's like, oh, I love you, come here, it's just great to see you today, you know, maybe not that like that, but you know, you just understand that there is an environment there that you flourish in, and you do so much better because that environment is set up for success for you. You understand what I'm saying? Love really is, an, uh, love really is that, that whole thing. It really is everything. And as we're diving into who are we, family is love. There was a husband and a wife who were out for a night on the town. And uh, as they were out uh, having, some good, uh, having a good old time, they uh, did some window shopping, and, and the wife came across this dress, and she just looked at this dress, and she's like, oh, man, that dress is amazing. I, I got to have that dress. So she says to her husband, she says, honey, I love that dress. I need to have that dress. It's just so awesome. So the, the husband goes over and he takes a look at the dress. And he looks at the price tag. He's like, oh, baby, I'm sorry. We, we, we just can't afford that. Like, it's, that's a really, really expensive dress. And, you know, I'm sure it would look great on you, but we just, we just physically, we can't do it. And she says, you know what, that's okay. And, and they go about and they do their, their thing. And then about two or three weeks later, the husband goes into his closet to grab his, grab his clothes. And he looks and he happens to notice that dress sitting in the closet. And, he, and he, he's a little bit chaffed. He's a little ticked off. So he goes and finds his wife and says, honey, you know, we had this conversation. You know, I, I see the dress in the closet. You went behind my back and you bought it. She says, you know, honey, you're, you're absolutely right, I did. She says, but I have to tell you, my, my motives were pure. I went, I went to the dress shop. I just wanted to see what it looked like on me from the mannequin. I just wanted to try it on just to see. And, and, and as I tried it on, the devil tempted me, and, and I just had to buy it. And he says, come on now. He says, you know what? We've learned at church that we need to come against the devil by, by quoting the word of God. Why wouldn't you say if the devil, if you felt the devil tempted you, why wouldn't you quote scripture? Why wouldn't you stand in that place and say, get ye behind me, Satan? She says, I did. In fact, that's exactly what I said. I said, get ye behind me, Satan. And when he got behind me, he says, man, you think that dress looks good from the front? You should see it in the back. <laughs> Had to have it. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of the angels but didn't love one another, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. 
If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. For love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You know, when I first started preaching, Cindy bought me a bunch of books, some illustration books and some quote books. And um, here's a couple of quotes that, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how, how one man or one woman's words can, can get in that place and really mold and shape a society. For example, I'm sure you've heard it is better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. That's Sir Alfred Lord Tenson said that. What about knowledge is power? That's Francis Bacon. How about this one? To err is to human, but to forgive is? You've heard it. That's Alexander Pope. How about this one? Ben Franklin said, God helps those who help themselves. How many people have quoted that from the Bible? You know, you walk in that place and all of a sudden it's kind of like, you know what? The Bible says God only helps those who help himself. You haven't been quoting the Bible. You've been quoting Alexander Graham Bell. Another one from Alexander Graham Bell is, uh, is time is money. But as I was listening to one of my favorite speakers, he tells a story about a man named Leroy Satchel Page. Leroy uh, Page was born in July 7th, 1906, and he died in 1982. You know, in the early 40s, there was such segregation between blacks and whites. And, and blacks were not allowed to, to be able to pr- uh, play baseball professionally, so they had the American Negro League. Shortly after Jackie Robinson, the first African-American allowed in the majors, Leroy was signed by the Cleveland Indians. During this time, it was very difficult for, for, for colored people to be able to stand in that place and play a game like baseball because just imagine what it would have been like back there. There would have been other baseball teams who would have been so against them. There would have been people in the, in the, in the stands just shouting obscenities and shouting racial slurs and comments as the people, as they walk up to, to, to hit the ball or as they walk out to play the game that they loved. And for, for Satchel Page, it was no different. In fact, there was one team who wanted to intimidate Leroy Satchel Page so much that they changed their batting order and stacked the batting order with all the top players at the, at the beginning to be able to send a message to him that you're messing with the wrong team. Now, for those of you who are here who enjoy baseball and like the game of baseball, you understand that that's not usually how it happens. Usually what happens is you spread out your heavy hitters, you get a couple guys on base, and you bring the heavy hitter in to bring them all home. But they stacked it all at the beginning to be able to send a motivational message to Leroy that says, you know what, you're in trouble. You're in the, long, you're in the wrong league. Welcome to the majors. Leroy was not easily intimidated. So in fact, what he did is he called in the outfield and he told the outfield to come in and sit behind second base. He told the infield to go into the dugout, uh, essentially pitching to this team by himself, and he struck each one of them out. Leroy Page became one of the greatest pitchers of all time. In fact, if you, if you do a little bit of research on Satchel Page, he says one of, his, um, one of the things that he wished he was able to do, but he never got a chance to, is he says, I wish I got to pitch against Babe Ruth. That would have been so awesome for him. Some of his famous pitchers was the Barber, the Long Tom, 
the bat dodger. That's a great name for a pitch. And his most famous pitch that many batters stated was absolutely impossible to hit was called the hesitation pitch. The hesitation pitch, he would wind up, and then he would just sort of throw this sort of pause moment in the middle of it. In fact, the league looked at that because a lot of people said that it was balking, and balking is when you stop a pitch in the middle because it throws the batter's timing off. But as they looked at it, they realized that he was not balking at all, and it was a legal pitch to throw, and batters said it was 100% impossible because they would get all ready with their timing, and then that little pause and hesitation would cause them to swing early, and they would strike out. This amazing man, some of the famous quotes were, you know what, we need to keep the ball off the fat part of the bat. It's a great quote. I love this one. No man can avoid being born average, but no man has to stay average. But the quote that I want to really look at this morning is really a three-part quote. It says, we need to work like we don't need the money. We need to dance like nobody's watching. And the part that I want to focus on is we need to love like we've never been hurt. Imagine that. Imagine that us as believers could step in that place and love like we've never been hurt. Every single one of us in this room have been hurt by one person, by a situation or a circumstance. Every single one of us can tell a story about pain. We can tell a story when we've been hurt, backstabbed, when we've had our spirits crushed when we've been called out, embarrassed, devastated. A time when we've been let down, deceived, ostracized. Every single one of us in this room can tell a story about when we've been absolutely crushed. In fact, even as I spoke these words, I imagine there's been many people in the room who have faced or faces have come into your mind saying, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember when so-and-so did this. Or I remember when my mom, I remember when my dad, I remember when my teacher, I remember when my pastor, I remember when, and it still leaves that sense of, ugh. So we have an opportunity as believers, as, as Christians, Christ ones, to step in that place and harden our hearts where we say, and we make vows that will say, I will never be hurt again. Or we can sit in that place and say, God, help me, Lord, to love like I've never been hurt. Mark Twain says, if you ever find a dog on the side of the road that's hurt and battered, you take him home and you feed him, and you nurse him back to health, that dog will never bite you. That is the difference between a dog and a man. The people who we love the most, who we pour the most blood, sweat, and tears into, are the ones who can wound our hearts the deepest. Does this mean that we need to be callous or hard? I don't think so. I think it means that we need to be open and truly love like we've never been hurt. I remember when Cindy and I first started youth pastoring, there was a girl in our youth group, and it was about seven kids at the time. And, and this girl, she, she was just kind of a special, and we got to pour into her a little bit, and we got to do some stuff for her. And then she went through a difficult journey, and when she went through a difficult journey, Cindy and I chased this girl, and we chased her and chased her. We took her out for lunch. We met her at school, took her out for lunch. We went to her house, knocked on the door, Brought, bought her Slurpees, kind of just loved on her and loved on her. And the more, it seemed the more that we loved on her, the more that she pushed us away. And it was kind of like, God, like, what is going on? 
the one gal that we're just, we're, we're working so hard on, seems that the, the more we do, the, the more she's pushing us, and the more she's like, listen, I don't want anything to do with you guys. I don't want anything to do with God. Just leave me alone. It hurts. It's kind of like, what could I have done different, God? How could I have handled that situation? What, Lord, did I need to do if I could have that time back to be able to see her walk in this, this, this utopia or this understanding that God is awesome? Sure, every single one of us in here, again, have ha- has got a story where it's kind of like, I did everything right, or I was not at fault, but yet this person hurt me so deeply You know what Jesus says, offense will come. It's going to happen. But it seems like some people, they just wake up in the morning and they brush their teeth and as soon as they're finished brushing their teeth, they sharpen their tongue. Like Satchel Paige, we need to love like we've never been hurt. Take a look at the story of Joseph. Man, try to, try to put yourself into the Bible this, this morning. Joseph a son who is favored by his father, buys him this special coat, and he's just like, you know what? Man, God's been giving me dreams. This is what's happening. This is what I see. And the brothers are just getting more and more jealous. And finally, they get to the place where it's just kind of like, you know what? Let's kill the guy. So they take him, they throw him into the pit, and they're just like, you know what? Let's just leave him there. Let's just let him die. And then one of the brothers says, you know what? We can't do that. I got a better idea. Let's sell him for us to be a slave. So they sell him to the slave industry. And he goes in there and then he gets wrongfully accused and he gets thrown into prison. And then as he gets thrown into prison, he's there in this dark dungeon that is not like prisons like we know today. This is prison. And then all of a sudden the Lord sees him. And he brings him to this place where he's able to prophesy a dream or interpret a dream before the king. And the king makes him the third most important person of all the kingdom. And as that happens, all of a sudden an opportunity comes forward where his brothers comes and stands before him because there's a massive famine in the land and the brothers need help. Put yourself there. Would it be like, oh God, you are so faithful, hallelujah. Now I can string these suckers up by their tails. And now I can get them and I am, oh, I'm going to just start off with torture. We're going to bring in the biggest, best torture people from China and they're going to torture these guys. And then when we're finished with them, then we're going to send them off to someplace and they're going to do this and that. Oh, I am going to have fun. I'm going to make them understand the pain they put me through. That's what I'm going to do. But that's not what Joseph did. In fact, Joseph sits in that place and he says, don't be afraid of me when they realize that they're standing before, behind, before Joseph. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So be reassured. Uh, so he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Would you have done that? What about Moses? See, Moses was a little baby. He was a Hebrew, and they were, they were killing off all the firstborn sons. So they put him in a basket, and they sent him up a river, and he's found by the princess, and when they, the princess takes him and brings him in as her own and looks after this baby, and then there's one day where, they, where he finds out that he's actually a Hebrew and not an Egyptian. 
So he goes out and he surveys the land and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster brutally beating a Hebrew and he gets so upset about that that he kills the Egyptian. The next day he goes out and he goes and spies over the land again and he sees two Hebrews fighting and quarreling. He's like, you guys are brothers, what are you doing? You shouldn't be treating each other like this. And they turn to him and says, who are you? You know what? Because we're fighting, this is offending you? That Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? His own kind that he stood up for, that he went in that place, are the ones that caused him to be able to run and he had to go and hide because now Pharaoh was after him. And he had to hide on the other side of the desert for 40 years where all of a sudden he starts a whole new life. And he meets God. And God says, Moses... I got a job for you. I want you to be the deliverer of my people. I want you to go back to Egypt and you're going to lead the the Hebrews out of of captivity into, into freedom. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And those first five books of the Bible are truly books of love. He could have sat in that place and said, forget it. These people are the people who caused me to leave. These people are the people who ruined my life. But yet he was obedient to God and he loved like he'd never been hurt. What about David? We all love David. Man, I think David would be an awesome movie. That'd be so cool. Someone's going to do it one time. It's going to be a blockbuster success, I'm telling you. But as David was growing up, Samuel comes over to Jesse's house and says, you know what, I'm going to anoint the next king out of your sons. Bring them all before me. So Jesse lines up his sons, and, and, and even Samuel with his own eyes says, it's going to be this one here. This one, the eldest brother, is the biggest, he's the strongest, he's very kingly. This is going to be the guy. So then all of a sudden he stands before this guy, waiting to, to, to anoint him in king, and the Lord says, that's not him. And he goes through all the sons. It's like, is this all your sons? He says, no, there's, there's one more pipsqueak runt. And he's off in the, some field looking after sheep, but I brought you the important ones. Go ahead, anoint them. Anoint my, 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 my number one, my eldest son. Anoint him as king. Look at, look at him. He's big, strong. He'll be a great king. Put yourself in that place. Your own father doesn't pull you out, but he leaves you because you're not important. And all of a sudden, as David starts to grow, he starts to walk in that place. His dad says, you know what? Go see how your brothers are doing. Bring him a lunch because he still wasn't old enough to go into the battle. He goes out there and all the Israelites are hiding in fear for Goliath. And David's like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Why is everybody hiding? The battle's over here. Come on, what's going on? And the brothers get so mad at David, they're just like, you know what? You just came out here to stir trouble. Go home. We don't want you. Get out of here. Your own brother's like, get out of here. Don't, you came to bring us food? That's a lie. You didn't come to bring us food. You just came here to see what's going on. You're just, you're just a troublemaker. You're just annoyance. Get away from us. David grows a little bit longer. He starts to minister to Saul, the king. In the palace, he starts to play his harp for him and just sing praises over, over, over God that would just calm that spirit that was inside of the king. But then the king would just get to that place of anger and grab a spear and whip it, trying to kill David because he knew that David was the next king. You think your boss is bad? And then David had the opportunity. He was hiding in caves, fleeing from Saul. 
because Saul went so crazy. He's like, that's it. I'm going to kill this guy. He's not going to be the king. It's going to be, it's going to be me and my lineage. So he's like, the best way to do this is to end his life. So he went hard, took his army, and went after one guy who hid in caves. And all of a sudden, as David walks into a cave, he, find, or he, finds, he finds Saul, and he has the opportunity to be able to slay Saul. Would you have taken it? That would have been the answer to your problems. You were anointed king anyways. God would have been just like, okay, you're the next king. But yet he stood in that place and said, that's not my job. And he walked out still hiding from Saul. As David then grew, and now he's an old man, his son Absalom decides that he would make a better king than David. So his own son rises up a coup to take over what he felt was rightfully his. He had people on his side saying, yes, you need to be the king. Your father's old now. Forget it. We'll follow you. His own son wanted to kill his father so he could be the next king. David loved like he'd never been hurt. What about Job? And that story's crazy. You ever read the book of Job? The guy's sitting there, and he's so favored by God that the Lord says to the enemy, you can do what you want to him, just don't kill him. But he's mine, I, I love him. He, he, he's favored amongst, uh, amongst men, he's, he's amazing. So all of a sudden he goes and his sons and daughters all die. He loses his land. He loses all of his possession. Then he gets these painful boils all over his bottle, uh, all over his body. Then he's standing in that place where his own wife. You know what? I, I don't know about you, but I tell you, there's times in my life where I get discouraged, and it's awesome to have a wife that encourages you, right? But his own wife walks up to him and says, "Sugar booger, what are you getting so upset about?" Listen, this is awful what's going on. This is terrible. I got the solution. Curse God and die. If you stand in that place and curse God, he'll wipe you out and it'll be all good. Go ahead, curse God. It's like, lady, be quiet. I'm not gonna curse God. So then he had three friends, man. Isn't it great to have friends to look on and lean upon when we're in a, when we're in a tough time? His three friends come and they just start giving the gears. It's because you have sin in your life. You're lying right now. You're not perfect. You're not this. You're not that. And all of a sudden these friends start calling against him and just spewing all this stuff against him. And then check this out. In Job verses, uh, Job chapter 42, Job prays for his friend. And when he prays for the friends, the Lord prospers him with twice as much. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortune. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Uh, 42 verse 11. Then all of his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they comforted him, and, uh, him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each one of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. You want a double portion? Man, I just hear, oh, Lord, I want a double portion. Give me more, God. Lord, I just want this. I want that. You want a double portion? Let go of your hurt and allow the Lord to prosper you. You want a double portion? Pray for your enemies. You want a double portion? Thank the Lord for the trial that's in your household right now. And say, God, May you be glorified for what the enemy is meant for good, evil, God is going to use for good in Jesus' name. Amen. What about 
What about our role model, Jesus? Guys, this blows me away. Jesus. Have you ever been spit on? I've been spat on twice. And I tell you, there's something, when you get spat on, there's something that rises up in you. And immediately you start thinking with your fists. And when I got spat on, I made a fist. I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to deck them so hard. And all of a sudden, it's just kind of like, God, just this anger that rose up, just kind of like, let it go. But Jesus was spat on. Jesus was whipped. He was beaten. He was broken. He was crucified, hung on a cross, where there he stands on public dis- uh, display for everybody, naked, hung to a cross. The Bible says he had the authority to be able to call out a legion of angels and wipe everybody out. God, thank you that I wasn't the Savior because I think I would have taken that option. But instead, he sits in that place and he says something that I believe today makes the demons in heaven still shake and tremble with fear. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We need love like we've never been hurt. Have we as believers truly been set apart? Is love reigning in your life that it's so evident that there's somebody is like, you know what, there's something different about that guy. There's something different about that girl. You know what, I know what's going on in their life, but yet they still are annoyingly loving. (laughs) Have you heard of stories where families step in that part where blood doesn't want anything to do with one another? I've heard of those stories, man. There's probably people in this room have walked in that place and you haven't talked to your mother, your father, your brother, your sister for years because of something that has taken place. You know what? My own grandmother on my mother's side was really the only grandparent I ever knew. My grandmother on my father's side passed away when I was, I think I was just before I was one. My grandfather passed away, but he lived in New Brunswick, and he passed away when I was probably, probably six or seven that I didn't really know the man. My grandfather on my mother's side passed away when I was very young, but my grandmother was, was alive until, until I was probably early teens. And my grandmother lived in Rexdale, Ontario, probably about a 30-minute drive from the house. And I remember going to grandma's house and staying the night and stuff. And then she would take us up to the mall or do the kind of things that grandmas do. And, and uh, as she would drive out of her parking lot, she would always make a left-hand turn no matter where she was going. And never, ever make a right-hand turn out of her parking lot, out of her driveway. And I'm like, grandma, like, why do you keep, you're going here and you keep making a left and then just doing this big square to get to that place. Why, why do you keep doing that? Her own sister, Bernice, lived three doors down and she never even wanted to drive by her house. These were two ladies in their 80s who were living alone by themselves. I would see my grandmother once every couple weeks maybe, once every month or whatever, whatever the, 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 the week kind of came about. And yet she had a sister three doors down and they never even drove down each other's streets. My friends... 
This morning, it's one of those messages that I think is maybe a bit of a heavy. It's one of those things that says, you know what, if we are Christians, if we are Christ's ones, if we've been set apart, what makes us different? Are we holding bitterness? Are we holding judgments? Are we holding grudges towards people? When I started at the very beginning and those, those, those faces started coming up to our, our mind of people who have really seriously hurt us, are we loving like we've never been hurt or are we living a life of woundedness? You know what? Life is going to throw us curveballs. It's going to throw us things that we're not expecting. You know what? Uh, whatever is that thing that's going to like, you know what? What is the worst thing that could possibly happen? I don't know. Let's say Lucas, my son who's, who's seven, let's say he grows up and he comes home and he says, you know what, Dad? I just decided that uh, I'm coming out of the closet and I'm gay. You know, and as a dad, I sit in that place and just like, seriously? Not only as a dad, but as a hunting Alberta dad. I'm like, son, you and I are going to shoot a deer right now. That's what we're going to do. What is my reaction going to be? Is it going to be like, you know what? You know what I feel about that. You know what the Bible says about that. Now get out of my house because I want no- you're not my son anymore. Go. You know what? I don't know what I'd do. I pray that situation never comes that I have to handle it. But if that situation was to happen, Lord, would you give me the grace and the wisdom to be able to stand with my son and say, Son, I don't agree with your decision. You know what I feel. You know what the Bible says. I rose, I, I, the way that I raised you up, I raised you as a Bible-believing kid. But I will always love you and that you're always welcome in my home. You know what, as a young man, I got kicked out of my house. Mom and dad had it out with me. And as I had it out with me, I remember that day like it was yesterday. I was so angry, and dad said, that's it. Get out. I want nothing to do with you. Get out of my house. And I remember grabbing my keys from the keychain, and I took off my car keys and this kind of stuff, and I took my keys and I whipped it at his head as hard as I could. And I said, here's your keys. And I grabbed my little 81 Honda Prelude and I shoved it full of clothes and I took off, never to see my parents again. The very next day, I was off to school. I went to a friend's in my house and I was off to school. And I opened up my wallet and I realized I had my mom's bank card in, in my pocket. And I'm like, you know what? I need to drop off my mom's bank card at her work because I don't want her to call me a thief on top of what else they've called me. So I dropped by my mom's work and I grabbed that bank card and I threw it on the counter. I said, here, I don't want you to call me a thief too. There's your bank card. That way you know that if anything goes missing, it had nothing to do with me. And mom broke down and she says, son, please come home. I'm like, I'm not coming home. I'm never gonna come home again. She says, son, your father couldn't sleep last night. We need to talk. I'm just kind of like, oh man, I don't want to talk. I just want this done. So I went home and I thought, okay, I'm going to meet with my dad. And I went, went to see my dad. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great meeting. I just can't wait for this one. And when he came home, something happened that I've never seen dad do before. He broke down. And he said, son, we've been calling ourselves a Christian family for years. It's time we start living like one. And I never, ever forgot that. And you've heard my testimony. You've heard me say that, you know what? And this came from my own father that we were a Christian by title. We went to church sometimes on Sunday. 
And it was all good. Like if anyone says, you, 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 do you know God? It's like, yeah, I know God. Do you believe in God? Yeah, yeah I, I believe in God. But that was kind of the extent of our relationship with God. But this one day, dad stood in that place and says, you know what? We've, not, we've been saying we're a Christian family, but we haven't been living like a Christ one. This morning, if you're in that place and you have a mom, you have a dad, you have a son, a daughter, somebody who you haven't talked to for 20 years, and you know what? You don't even remember why you're fighting. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Call them right now. Go home and pick up the phone, swallow our pride, and say, God, will you help me to love like I've never been hurt? God, will you help me to make this phone call? But what if they don't talk to me? What if they hang up the phone? Then call them the next day. What if they just never return my call? Then call them every day and say, you know what? I'm just calling to say I love you. How do you refute love? You can't. Because perfect love casts out fear. And all of a sudden we get in that place, but I think we allow pride to get in there and we allow stuff to get in there that this is the phone calls that we make. Okay, I haven't called them for 20 years. Okay, help me to do this. And we pick up the phone and we say, hey, pastor spoke a message on Sunday and it convicted me. And I have to call you and I have to make things right. So I just want to know, I forgive you for being a jerk to me. That's not reconciliation. We need to walk in that place where it's just kind of like, you know what? I don't even know what has happened in the past, but all I know is I want to love like I've never been hurt. What would our lives as believers look like if all of a sudden we were stood in that place and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Bible even tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood but principalities. That son, that daughter, that mother, that father, that teacher, that preacher. It's not the person, it's the spirit that is active in them. And we need to stand in that place and say, you know what? <laughs> I love you. You know what? What you're saying right now, there's a, if you, we listen in the natural, it's going to affect us. But if we step in the supernatural and say, God, my body is body, soul, and spirit. And right now, my spirit needs to take control of my body because that is what's connecting to God. God, what are you saying right now that I can respond to? And we say, okay, God, what they're saying is mean what they're saying is nasty. They've definitely sharpened their tongue this morning. And then we, we, then we respond with that spirit of love. Now hear me. It doesn't mean that we're doormats. There's a balance to everything. You know what? Here's a great example of that. You, uh, we've had the Weedricks in here a few times. Katie Weedrick is, a, is an amazing woman of God who was molested severely over and over and over again by her father. And as she stood in that place, in fact, as she got married to Dennis, Dennis was a preacher, and, and uh, she wasn't, wasn't raised in that at all. And her father sat down, as Dennis went and, and asked the blessing of the dad to be able to take uh, his daughter's hand in marriage. He says, you know what, sir, I'd like to come and I'd like to ask your, your permission to be able to marry your daughter. And he turned to him and said, what in the world would you as a preacher want to marry a whore like her? That's her father. Now all of a sudden, as she grows up and she raises up and they get married and stuff, they start to have children. You know what? 
we need to love like we've never been hurt, but it doesn't mean that he's a safe person for them, him to babysit their kids. Okay? We need to use wisdom. We need to let go of that kind of stuff. We need to say, God, will you help me do it? Because I can't do it on my own strength. And that, you know, if you've heard the story, the testimony of this, of, uh, of um, Katie, you will understand that one, one day that the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, you know what, I want you to go and, uh, he came up to her and said, I want, I want to talk to you, Katie, alone. And usually that would produce a fear in her heart that's kind of like, I don't want to ever be alone with you. And he says, could I speak with you alone? And the Holy Spirit said to her, he said, go, I'm doing something. So she went and she said, he went, she went behind a barn with him. And when they went back there, he fell on his knees before her and he repented. And he got to that place, he says, you know what, I am so sorry. And he accepted Christ as his personal savior. And she says, even his countenance changed. And she got to close the end years of his life, seeing him as a healthy dad, as a healthy grandfather, and see a miraculous transformation take place in his life. My friends, we can't do it. There's, there's, again, there's people in this room who've been hurt so incredibly that I can't relate to you. I've had my bumps, I've had my bruises, but there's some people who've had their, 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 their uh, serious gut punches. But God wants to breathe life into your spirit this morning. And he wants us as a body to be able to love like we've never been hurt. He wants to take us in that place and transform us into something that we can't be on our own. You know what, as I was growing up and I started hitting, hitting uh, youth groups and that kind of stuff, I, I remember them talking all the time about the unforgivable sin. You know the Bible talks about an unforgivable sin? It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But as I read the word a little bit farther, I, I wonder if there's actually two unforgivable sins. Because Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. It'd be awesome if the Bible just stopped there, period. But it doesn't. It goes on to say in verse 15, Matthew 6, 15, but if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I walk in that place, I'm like, God, I don't like that last scripture. The first one? cool. Put a period over it. It's done. But Lord, you had to write verse 16, didn't you? And verse 16 steps in that place and says, if you don't forgive, then I cannot forgive you. My friends, I think it's time that we stop acting like Christians and we start living like Christians. I think it's time that we step in that place and just say, God, I want what you want from my life. And see, what happens is, have you ever been in praise and worship and you know, all of a sudden it just feels like there's, you're in a cage. It's just like, man, I just, I keep feeling like I just keep hitting this lid and I just don't know what's wrong. Is God mad at me? The Bible tells us in Luke that if we walk in that place and we, we have a legal right to be able to throw someone into a spiritual prison. If all of a sudden Kurt did something to me and I didn't like it, I have the right to say, you know what? I don't forgive you for that and I'm gonna throw you into a debtor's prison and then boom, He's in a prison. But then the father comes and puts me in a prison because I, as the Lord says that as I could not forgive a little, he cannot forgive of a lot. Uh, he forgave me of a lot. So if I, if, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You know, <laughs> as, as we walk in the place, as the Lord has forgiven me of a lot and I cannot forgive of a little, then you know what? 
he says, you also go into that debtor's prison. You want to soar like an eagle? You want to explode in your faith? You want to go deeper than you've ever have in worship and in your personal relationship? Then forgive. Love like you've never been hurt. C.S. Lewis says, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. Remember, remember as kids, we used to go to the playground, we used to play. Playground today is very different than it was when we were kids. You know, I went to Ontario and I visited my nieces and we took them to the playground. And all the playgrounds have, in Ontario, all the floors in the playgrounds are this rubber, springy, spongy stuff. And when you walk on it, it's, it's kind of cool. It's like, it's like, wow. It's like I'm, I'm moonwalking. This is great. And I said to my mom, I said, like, I've never seen this before. This is like, woo, this is fun. And, I, and I'm like, is this like, just like for the kids to play on? She goes, no, honey. It's if the kids like would go down the slide too fast, they land on their bums. It doesn't hurt. And I'm like, seriously? Like, man, when we were kids, we had metal slides. <laughs> metal. Who invented that? In the summer, that thing's 180 degrees, and you go in there in your shorts, and you're like, eh, ah! <laughs> you get halfway down the thing, like, I'm coming, this is awesome. Eh, ah! <laughs> Metal slides. Remember the kids, you know what, uh, like in Ontario now, they swing and they go on the little swings and they jump off the swings. Remember jumping off the swings in the kids? You know, you go on the swings and you jump off the swings to see who go farther. They jump and they, they, they bounce and do all this kind of stuff. Man, we went down over rocks and concrete. The whole park was a concrete pad. It's like, whoa, look at me. Oh, I broke my leg. That was an awesome one. I've never gone that far in my life. Oh. You want, to, you want to talk about a lesson in forgiveness? What about the seesaw? <laughs> now, there is a lesson in forgiveness right there. You know, you ever go on the seesaw and, and like, I don't know if this, is this an Alberta thing or wherever you're from? You know, all of a sudden, someone holds you down and you're up in the air. And you're like, <laughs> let me down now. And they say, Charlie Brown, let me down. You go, okay, Charlie Brown, let me down. They say, what will you give me? You guys do play that one? Oh, yeah, you did? Okay. You know, so I'm up in the air. I'm up in the air. And they're like, whoa. They're like, I'm like, Charlie Brown, let me down. They're like, what will you give me? I'm like, um, I'll give you a bite of my ham sandwich. They're like, no. And they jump off because they don't like that. And all of a sudden, you're just like, Poof. And like, oh, I think you cracked my vertebrae. That was awesome. Oh, next time I'm going to get you. See, we're still on that. We still have that seesaw. And that seesaw is that lesson of, of guilt and condemnation. You know what? As soon as one gets off, the other one comes crashing down. My friends, we need to walk in that place of freedom. To close, it's time to let go of the past. Embrace our future as sons and daughters, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, there's a former president of the United States. His name was James Garfield. And James Garfield was assassinated. He took one bullet in the arm and another one in the torso. And this didn't kill him. And he went back and he went to his, his home and his doctors started sticking their fingers into the wound trying to find the bullet. They couldn't find the bullet that was lodged in there. 
So they started reaching around and trying to find that bullet, and they couldn't find it. Then they started taking instruments, and they started making new tunnels and new caves, trying to find that, that missing bullet, and they couldn't find it, and they prodded him. Every single day for three weeks, they prodded and prodded and prodded and prodded, trying to find this missing bullet. In fact, um, I believe it was Albert Einstein. Was it Albert Einstein? Let me just make sure here. Uh, no, Alexander Graham Bell invented um, the metal detector to help the surgeons find that bullet. And they used this machine for the first time on James Garfield, but they used it on a bed with, with uh, steel springs. And every time they, they said, okay, here's the bullet up there, and they moved, they took a, like a knife and they took a tongs and they would reach inside of this bullet wound and try to grab something and pull it out and say, no, that's not the bullet. They realized that if they had left that bullet alone, that he would have been okay. He would have recovered and made it. But they kept prodding and prodding and prodding, trying to dig up something from the past, which caused infection in his body, which caused which uh, made uh, President Garfield pass away. 1 Corinthians says you can speak all languages and not love. You can be prophetic. You can be all the prophetic person that you want, but not have love. Man, you can understand God's plans and have knowledge, but not love. Don't let your past dictate your future. We need to step in that place and say, God, you know what? I've been harboring this bitterness for years, God, but God, today I'm going to let it go. God, today I'm going to be free because your word says who the Son has set free is free indeed. And like my dad said to me years ago, son, we've been calling ourselves Christians, but it's time that we start acting like one. Will you allow the Lord to take that hurt, to take that pain, to take that bitterness, to wash it away and say, you know what, son, daughter, your future is bright because you've, cho- you've chosen the right path to be able to step in that place and say, God, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to carry it, but God, I need to be free. You know what? I'm going to close the service a little bit different today. Would everybody stand to their feet this morning? You know, there's different ways that we do things in the church and Sometimes we just say, would everybody just kind of bow your heads and close your eyes and no one looking around, we're going to just sort of raise hands and I just feel that we're not going to do that today. Today I just really sense that there's something so special about the altar of God. You know what? We can go home right now and just kind of say, you know what, Lord, what, what you showed the pastor, it, it really kind of is, is, is convicting me, Holy Spirit speaking to me and I want to deal with this and you know what, that's awesome. But I think there's something special, supernatural for us to sort of get in that place where it's just kind of like, God, I don't want to let another minute go by and carry this monkey on my back. But Lord, I need to be free. Lord, I need your help, God, to love like I've never been hurt because God, I've had hurts in my life. I've experienced pain in my life. I've experienced some difficult situations in my life. God, this morning, I'm going to choose to take them off and give them to you. God, will you help me? This morning, I'm not going to call up the altar team. In fact, I'm not going to pray for you this morning. This morning, I just want to open up the altars, and you know what? As a, the worship team leads us into, that so- into this song, would you just come up before the altar of the Lord and just say, God, here I am, God. 
Lord, that face that came into my mind when pastor first started talking, those faces. My mother, my father, my brothers and my sisters. God, I've been holding on to such grudges for so long that God, it's time to lay them down. And God, I need your help. Would you just come up as we're singing and just say, God, I want you to walk with me. I want you to lead me. And I need you to guide me in Jesus' name. And then when you're finished, this is also the dismissal. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a fantastic week in his name. And may God just do supernatural things in your family's life this whole week. Be blessed. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.